But the gospel is good news. Pointing people back to the just the root of everything, which is you know, it's it's Jesus. It's it's our risen Savior. Uh, it's the simplicity of the gospel. We have a, an awesome Savior, and we can live a glorious, victorious life without fear. Um, the Bible says, such as a man thinketh, so is he. We'd like to welcome everyone to our podcast today. Thank you for joining us. My name is Lonnie Wood. I am a pastor of Restoration Life Church in McGee, Mississippi. And we're, uh, we've just started our podcast. I think this is like our fourth session. So thank you all for joining us. And uh, we have with us today a very good friend of ours all the way from West Virginia who's, who's ministering for us this weekend uh, at the Restoration Life Church. And uh, uh, Reverend Lynn Howes, yep. all the way from uh, what B is Bur Berkeley Springs. Berkeley Springs. That's right. I West keep Virginia. mentioning that. West yep. Virginia. So, so he's from a long ways out of town, but uh, he's a very honorable man. He's just really knowledgeable of the scripture and has really, really blessed us this weekend in our conference here in McGee. So we're going to go ahead and uh, turn this, uh, the, this, this service over to Dr. Lynn and let him just share what the Lord has on his heart. And we talked a little bit about uh, Brother Lynn before you come on about what we might want to share today with our with our. Uh, listeners and um, but um, what, what you were talking about this morning uh, brother Lynn as it relates to um, I guess legalism you know in Christianity today and how that uh, that can bring a, 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 a Christian who has a, a great heart for God that could love God with all their heart but if we're in legalism uh, it's a type of law that, yeah. that God has delivered us from right. and we're no longer under the law as you brought out so well last night and again today uh, we're no uh, no, no longer are we under that uh, old covenant law, right. but we are in a, living in a new covenant, a covenant of grace. Yeah. So just share with our audience, Brother Lynn, uh, what's on your heart today. Thank you for being well, with you us. You know, just a few things that really stand out to me that I share. Just I touched maybe the scripture a little bit, but probably the beginnings of my journey was when I started looking at scripture, like where Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, study to show yourself approved unto God a workman that needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Rightly dividing the word of truth to me doesn't mean you know Greek and Hebrew. It means you know how to decide what is truth in relationship to the old covenant and what's true in relationship to the new covenant. Most people don't see uh, what happened post-Calvary. In other words, they think it's Jesus plus the law. You know, and one of the things I shared last night, I didn't go into detail, but on the Mount of Transfiguration, you know, when Moses and Elijah appear to Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, I didn't even say this last night, but I got back to him and thought about it. The Bible said they spoke to him concerning his decease. And the Greek word for decease there is the Greek word exodus. So here's Moses, the leader okay. of the first exodus, talking to Jesus, who's the leader of the exodus that's on them right then. And this exodus this time was not out of a physical bondage, but it was out of a spiritual bondage. And as I shared last night, you know, when you think about there's an exodus, there's this whole exodus uh, motif all the way through the New Testament. It starts out with Jesus being identified as the lamb. Something should have went off in every mind of every Hebrew person standing there that ever, the last time we saw a lamb was because an exodus was afoot. And then you see parallels to the exodus with Herod, you know, who's killing the babies just like you know, just like Pharaoh was killing the babies in Egypt. That's right. Uh, and so then the, the scripture said that they, uh, the angel of the Lord spoke to Joseph, said, take the young child down into Egypt, 
until the death of Herod. And then he quotes something from the Old Testament, so that the scripture might be fulfilled. Israel is my firstborn, and out of Egypt have I called my son. So he's talking about another exodus. And right. then you see all of these things. And, of course, one of the main scriptures that I shared last night from Revelation 11, I believe it is verse 8, said, Concerning what I believe is, is pictured as the law and the prophets, Moses and Elijah, because they, they, the two witnesses have the power to shut up the heavens, that it rain not uh, during the days of their prophecy, despite the earth as often as they will with plagues. That's Moses and Elijah. It's a picture of the law and the prophets. And he said, their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt. Mm -hmm. where also our Lord was crucified. Our Lord was not crucified in Sodom or Egypt. Our Lord was crucified in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. But the Holy Spirit was pointing the finger at Jerusalem, which was the centerpiece of Old Covenant Judaism. And he's saying, that's the Egypt I'm delivering you from. that, that, That Herod, once again, was acting like the Pharaoh of Egypt, but this time this 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 uh, deliverance was from the bondage of legalism under law. And what we do most of the time, Pastor Lonnie, is we pick and choose the parts of the law that fit our culture. We call that the gospel. And as I shared the other night, you know, we'll, we'll take the parts of the law, for instance, in the book of Deuteronomy that says women don't dress in men's apparel, but in that same chapter it tells you not to mingle your thread in the garment with diverse kinds of threads. So I never heard anybody ever preach against polyester rayon no. blend or <laughs> same chapter you can't eat a bottom feeding fish can eat catfish here here we are in mississippi catfish capital of the world and and we went to a place last night and uh uh, they had catfish on the buffet and shrimp and according to the law you can't eat that that. that's right so in other words we pick and choose the parts of the law that fit our culture not realizing that we are two thousand years into the new covenant and the old covenant you know just to make a few analogies the old covenant was thou shalt, thou shalt not, thou shalt, thou shalt not. That's right. And the new covenant, God said, this is the covenant I'll make. I will, I will, I will, and I will. So the old covenant was about what you did, and the new covenant was about what God's doing in Christ to bring us through. And, you know, what we don't realize even when we preach redemption is that we've been redeemed, not just from sin, but we've been redeemed from the curse of the law because Jesus was made a curse for us. And so, you know, I I think sometimes the weapon of condemnation that the enemy uses to form against us is he takes an antiquated law and tries to, uh, to, to, to condemn us to where we walk away not in faith any longer. And we, we don't even believe we're saved anymore. I mean, I can remember growing up in some a lot of religious circles where I got saved every week. Oh, yeah. And give them Me a too. midweek courtesy yeah. debt because they talk you out of your salvation. The whole goal is get people on the altar. Mm-hmm. And then we'd brag, you know, Pastor Lonnie, about how many people got saved oh, yeah. in this last revival. But it's the same 150 people got saved the last time well, I was right. there. Yeah. And they're going to get in the altar the next time and the next time. And then we get on this repetitive, you know, mm-hmm. treadmill. And, and after a yeah. while, you start to think, well, you know what? I'm not making it. I'm failing. And if I'm going to die and go to hell, at least I'm going to enjoy the ride. And I think we have multiple casualties of especially our young people that we've lost to a system that's constantly pushing them away rather than, you know, telling them to draw. Now, that doesn't mean sin is all right. It just simply means what, what we do is we keep people away from the very thing that can transform their lives. And that's a relationship with Jesus. But we keep telling them you ain't good enough to come to Jesus. But the truth of it is, is that he takes you just like you are, and then he begins to transform your life to begin to bring you into this, you know, new covenant lifestyle. And the old covenant is about a law you have to keep, and the new covenant is about receiving a life that will keep you. The old covenant, you live out of fear, and the new covenant, you live out of faith. 
and uh, you know and and a lot of I mean just things like that to me there's a difference between these covenants and people do not realize that all through the scripture everything in the Old Testament is not Old Covenant and everything in the New Testament is not New Covenant. In other words, there's an Abrahamic covenant, there was a Noah covenant, there was an Adamic covenant, and the New Covenant you see, or in the New Testament you see Jesus, especially, this has really helped me, is that in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are still under the law. So they're, they're, you know, they are, Jesus is teaching some stuff unwatered down to, because the whole point and the purpose of the law is to conclude all under sin so he can have mercy on all. In other words, there's none righteous, not even one, based on the you know, the works of the law. So it points you to a Savior. says, I need a Savior. And that's kind of at least a little bit in a nutshell. I don't want to take the whole program. So no, you no, talk- no. No, I, I appreciate you sharing, uh, Brother Lynn. That's what we wanted you to do. Uh, in, in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there's a phrase that Jesus used himself 15 times. Mm-hmm. Uh, this generation, mm-hmm. if you will, take uh, a few minutes and okay. share with with the, our listeners uh, as to what the Lord has shown you concerning that phrase, because every, it's only used by Jesus. Nobody else used that phrase this yep. generation. But 15 times Jesus would use that phrase, uh, especially, and you brought this out last night, especially there in Matthew uh 23, and, and also in 34. Well, 24, when you get, yeah. 24, yeah. And then when you when you get over to uh, to Mark 13, he uses it again. Yeah. Mark Mark repeats that, and then Luke in 21. So, so there's four of the 15 right there that Jesus uses. Mm-hmm. When Jesus uses that phrase, this generation, mm-hmm. you you use this a lot in your teaching. Uh, you you talk about who, who was his audience, mm-hmm. who was he talking to at the time. So when when he refers to this generation, yep. uh, share what the Lord has, sh- has has shown you concerning what Jesus' topic was really about, uh, and, and specifically Matthew 24, yep. because that's Matthew has recorded it more extensively than Luke yep. and Mark, of course. Yep. Uh, but that, and, and and even when, and all three of these gospels mention this, that the city that was to be torn down, Jesus would, would make the statement, "Not one stone shall be left upon another that will not be torn mm-hmm. down." Jesus shared that in all yeah. three of those gospels. Yeah. But but back to the generation, four times. And in those settings, Jesus Himself used that term, yeah. "this generation." Yeah. What what should we what, what should our minds where should our minds take yeah. us, uh, Doctor Lynn, I, when we talk when we talk about this generation or read this generation in the Scripture? Yeah, I, I think that is a very very important point. One of the things I teach strongly is audience relevance, and context is everything. Where we're messed up most in our teaching is when we pull a scripture out of its context and try to make it say something that is not. But the lead up to the first time in Matthew 23, Jesus is looking at the scribes, Pharisees. He said, woe to you. You kill the prophets and stone them that's sent to you. Right. And, uh, you know, he, he begins to tell them that, that, that uh, uh, he prophesies six woes to them. Mm-hmm. And he says that, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. You, you, you made the sepulchers of your fathers and you, you know, but you're right, the ones that yeah. killed the prophets and stoned them that were sent to you. And he said, all of these things that he was prophesying of these woes will come upon this generation. generation, And then Jesus is in the same context and he's standing there on the Mount of Olives and he's looking at the the focus is on the beautiful temple, beautiful buildings of the temple and Jerusalem. And he stands there and he weeps on the end of Matthew 23 and he said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. 
you that kill the prophets and stone them that were sent. How oft I would have gathered you under my feathers as a hen doth gather her chicks, but you would not. Therefore, your house is left into you desolate. And he starts to prophesy, and he says, do you see all these things? Not one stone is going to be left on another. He's not talking about some future cataclysmic cosmic collapse. Right. He was talking about the end of the temple, the end of that old covenant system, the animal sacrifices that they were involved in, and he's prophesying the demise of all of that, and he starts talking about tribulation such as was not, and they'll deliver you right. up to be killed, yes. and uh, that, and, and he starts talking about there'll be wars and rumors of wars, and uh, tribulation such as was not since the world began, and he's prophesying all this stuff, and then they ask him, when will these things be? And he says to them, he answers that question in verse 34, Matthew 24, verse 34. He said, this generation will not pass away okay. until all this is fulfilled. Yes. So he sets a time text there, and he's telling them that everything that I prophesied up to this verse is going to come to pass within this generation. Now, I've had Bible prophecy teachers challenge me on that, and they say, well, you know, that, that's the generation that sees the budding of the fig tree. But if you're going to, or that, and they'll say that that word generation there doesn't mean generation, it means a race of people, but it does not mean a race of people. It's the same Greek word that's used in Matthew 23 when mm -hmm. he says that all of the blood of the righteous, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zacharias, will come on this generation. So that generation that was standing there was the same generation that would see the fulfillment of the prophecies of Matthew chapter 24 down through that. We have pulled those out of context for so long and made them to be events that somewhere out in our distant future. And every time there's some kind of a news bulletin hits, we try to twist it somehow to fit into that time zone. And he was not talking to us. He was talking to them. They were the people. Exactly. As I shared last Amen. night out of Corinthians, they were the people upon whom the ends of the world. world is what King James says, but that Greek word again is not world there, it's age. They were the people upon whom the ends of the ages had come. They, they were at the uh, back yeah. end of the old covenant age and the front end of the new covenant ages, hence the ends of the ages. And so even when Jesus is uh, prophesying there in Matthew 24, what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the world, the word world there is not global like we would think of a cosmic collapse. The word world there is the Greek word age. Yeah. What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? That's a game changer to me Absolutely. because it's not talking about the end of a, a cosmic collapse of the world, but the end of an age and namely the old covenant age and really the biblical last days were the last days of the old covenant. And that was the, the, the generation, and that, that actually was Jesus gave that prophecy in Matthew 24, uh, that this generation will not pass away until all these things are fulfilled. And within exactly 40 years in 70 A.D., what Jesus prophesied, when you see Jerusalem encompassed with armies, you know it's time to get out of Dodge. Yes, and if you're, if you're there, then flee, let him that's in Judea flee to the mountains. Pray that you're not with child, or them that give suck in those days, or it's on the Sabbath day, or in the winter. Because he said there's going to be great tribulation such as was not. He was not talking about some future event. He was talking about what happened there. And when the Romans sieged the city, I think it was approximately 66 A.D., all of the believers who had heard Jesus teach that, when the Romans besieged the city and it was encompassed with armies, they knew that it was near even at the door. There was a rumor of war that came to the, the, the Roman general, and they backed off for just a short time. And every believer that was in Jerusalem fled, went to Pella, yeah. where they were kept for a time, times and a half, time, 42 yeah. months. You see that in Revelation 12 with the wings of a great eagle. He kept them because they knew the hour 
that that this, they knew the, the timing uh, was at hand when they, they would be encompassed with armies. So what he's really showing them there, to me, the point is not to be eschatological in the sense of just arguing the end time stuff. But if we don't understand that the end of the world was the end of an age and not the end of a cosmic collapse, we're not going. That's why we are 2000 years into the new covenant and, and people still preaching a mixture. Yeah. 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 The word world, uh, Brother Lynn, if, if we just took that one word, yeah. this generation, yeah. yes, if, if we would study this generation, and it's very easy to do, you, you just type it in and it shows up chronologically yep. in the Bible. It's actually for, I mentioned four times in the Old Testament, my memory serves me, 15 in the New. Mm. Then if you search the word world, there's actually five worlds. When yep. people talk about the world is about to come to an end, uh, I'm thinking, well, which one's coming to an end? There's yeah. five of them. Yeah. There's five different Greek yeah. words for, for the word world. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, what really caught my eye studying the end of the world was what Paul talked to the Ephesians about it in Ephesians 3, yeah. the last verse, verse 21. I think you mentioned this last yeah. night uh, when he talked about world without end. Mm-hmm. So, so <laughs> and in other words, how can we, how can we uh, suppose that this world is about to come to an end? Because, you know, people everywhere you turn today, especially especially with the, the Russian and, and the Korean War and, and, and everything that's going on with, with uh, hurricanes and tornadoes and fires. It's like it, this is a signs of the time. Mm-hmm. And, and this has been going on for, yeah. for centuries. These things have been going on. Yeah. But, but we associate that. I think what we do is we—and we, we don't intend that—you know what, we— this is not a fault-finding session, is it? No. This is just about us sharing with our listeners some truths that I think that yep. maybe has been overlooked. Yep. And if we overlook a truth and, and we take a myth and we apply that to our lives, uh, Brother Ian, how will we ever reach the potential that God has intended for His church or the world for that matter? Yeah. Because we're believing something that's, that I, that's not actual truth. Right. And it's the truth, as you brought out last night so well, it's the truth that makes us free and set us free. Yep. But the truth makes us free. Yep. So, um, w- with that, with that being said, uh, talk to us just for a minute, if you will, to our listeners concerning the end of of the world in, in your mind and how yep. the Lord has shown you what the end of the world looks like. What is the where is the church headed? What do you where do you think we'll be, for instance, uh, 10, 20, 50, 100 years from now? Because you know, we you talked this morning so beautifully how that. We believe that heaven is to invade earth, yeah. and then we're supposed to be doing the works of Christ here in the, er, in the earth, and that we are actually the body of Christ. We're the bride of Christ. Uh, we're sons of God. We're supposed to be doing in earth what God has called us to do, and rather than uh, than, than looking for some escape uh, to go to heaven someday, mm-hmm. um, rather than bringing heaven to earth, and, and uh, I, I've heard you elaborate on that and do such a great job, so if you will, just take a minute. Well, you know, when Jesus taught the kingdom, he always said the kingdom of God is like. It's not going to be. It is like, and and, and you start to like, look at the yeah. text, and he's not talking about other world stuff. He's talking about this world stuff. He's talking about the kingdom, and even in uh, uh, Luke's gospel where he says when he was demanded of the scribes and Pharisees, when will the kingdom come? At least the, the Pharisees knew the kingdom was coming. And they knew that from the law and the prophets. It was a promise right. of a messianic kingdom that was going to, come. going to come. So I think that one of the biggest things that I think that the church has really missed is we teach people that the gospel is about how I can get from here to there. To there. Mm-hmm. And right. I do believe there's a there. But, but the point is, mm-hmm. is not how do I get from here to there. It's how do I get what's happening there to operate here. Your kingdom come, your will be 
done in earth as it is in heaven. And so he's trying to invade the earth with his new creation project, I Amen. call it. But, you know, in some of the terminologies that I've used over the years, even the one you just quoted in Ephesians where he says, to him be glory in the churches throughout all ages, world, world without, without end. end. Yes, sir. You know, and so that's the correct rendition of the word world there, world without end. It's not the Greek word age there. It is actually talking about the, 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 the real world. Mm -hmm. So he's not talking about the collapse of the world. He's talking about it's a world without end. But I came across several, just like Hebrews 1. God, who at sundry times and times past spoke to us in, through, and by the prophets, hath in these last, last days. End. So here's the apostle talking to Hebrews, calling his day the last days. God hath in these last days spoken to us by the Son. He's very specific. Is that he spoke to us up until that time to the old covenant prophets. Now he's speaking to us from the very son himself in these last days. So he's telling him, these are the last days. These are the biblical last days. And then I thought, well, you know, if that was just one text, maybe there's some other stuff. Okay. So I started looking for last days phrases. And then I found Peter on the day of Pentecost. He said, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. That in the last days. Day. So here's the second apostolic witnesses calling his day the last days. And he said, this is the fulfillment of that, yeah. of that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, that in the last days, saith God, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. Mm -hmm. Your son, you know, you know the scriptures. And then uh, the apostle John said, little children, we know it is the last time. Because Antichrist is already on the scene. Already. And he said that before Osama, Obama, Chelsea's mom are the last trumpets, like I said the other night. Yeah. And the truth of it is, is that the last days, the biblical eschaton, was the last days of that old covenant. And I tell, when I teach these eschatology seminars, I tell people everything you believe about end times is right. You just have the end at the wrong spot. And you have the end of what? You're thinking in cosmic collapse, and he's talking covenantal language, and it's not oh, about an, uh, an end-time nuclear holocaust. It was about what was occurring at the end of that age as that old covenant system was about to be folded together like a great scroll. And it was, in other words, that book was closed. It was done. Jesus came to fulfill all the requirements of the law so that he could set us free to serve in the newness of life and not in the oldness of the letter. So, you know, and then, so then he tells them in Hebrews, since this one is about to be dissolved, uh, you know, he did not put the world to come in subjection to angels, but he put them in subjection to a, to a son. And then he quotes Psalm 8. He said, one in a certain place says, what is man that you're mindful of him? Well, when you read that and he says, thou gave us him dominion. So God put the man in charge just like he did Adam in the garden. He put him to have dominion. And the Lord God blessed them and said, be fruitful, multiply, replenish, have dominion. That's, God's never changed his mind about that. And I think that we blame God for a lot of stuff that's going on in our world whenever he's trying to raise us up to be his vice regents in the earth to bring about change. And when we, I think it's important to believe, like you said, what we believe is important because what we do with our future is determined by how sometimes we see the incoming. Exactly. Because if we think that this thing's about to go under, we're going to be, we're, it's like setting, you know, why, why polish the brass on a sinking ship, this thing's about to go under. Yeah. But when you realize, wait a minute, I haven't polished the brass and we ain't got out of here. Maybe we need to rise up and wake up the sleeping giant called the church and see some changes 
transpire in the earth and be the salt and the light that we're called to be to bring about the change that needed to be because when there is a absence of influence from the kingdom there's a vacuum that darkness takes over exactly. and I believe that's really where we've been somewhat so I don't know if that answers it kind of or not. Uh, well, very well uh, don't you think brother Lynn that we're the church for, for the most part we're living in much less liberty and victory and then then uh, than what we have, we 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 the the, the name of this this uh, this podcast, for instance, is Victorious Christianity. Mm-hmm. And uh, when we're living under legalism, yep. you can't go here, can't go there, got to mm-hmm. wear this, got to do this. You taught about that real well, and in fact, a little bit today you've mentioned it. But uh, um, to to be under the kind of bondage that some of us were raised yep. under. Uh, is, um, by well-meaning when, preachers oh, by, who did the best yes. they could what they knew, but it's like you know. Well, and, and I'm glad you brought that out because, as I said earlier when we first started, the last thing you and I want to do today is to to, to sound like that we don't appreciate our heritage. Yeah. Because where would we be today? That's right. You know, had we not had uh, praying mothers and fathers yep. and yep. grandparents and so, on. but uh, so while we thank God for what they put in us and instilled in us, God used them, and uh, but but that led us uh, into something deeper. You talked some last night about the feast of Passover, uh, Pentecost, and Tabernacle. And I think this is what I tell my church from time to time. You know, we, we come from Passover. We went to Pentecost. When we got to Pentecost, we received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and sat down. Yeah. You know, the gifts of the Spirit are operating fluently in the church, in the Pentecostal churches. And thank God for that. Mm-hmm. We got nothing. There's nothing in this world that we will ever want to say negative toward our brothers right. and sisters. Right. We, ha- we have no axe to grind with mm-hmm. no one. So we're not here for iron to sharpen iron. We're here to comfort one another, encourage one another, and edify one another and live one another up. However, uh, some, somebody said last night to Devin, I think, I just want more. Yep. You know, and I think one of the songs were mm-hmm. last night, just want more. Well, mm-hmm. how are we going to get more? And, and I don't know that that's, that means that we necessarily got to uh, flow in the gifts more while that's needed and it's good and we, we mm-hmm. should do that and want that more, of course. Yep. But I think it has more to do with intimacy and, and, and yep. well, not in intimacy, but not just intimacy, but, but having a knowledge. My people perish because of the lack of. Yep. And so when, when knowledge comes, uh, you know, I, I think then understanding can come. And once understanding comes, wisdom can come. Yep. And, and I think probably in that you know, yep. in, in that way, in that way. Uh, but you have brought a lot of understanding this this week, along with the other ministers that's been with us. Some of them here today that's going to go on our podcast here in a few minutes when you and I are done. But um, it's, it's just uh, I don't know, brother Lynn, I guess we could go on and on. But it's it's uh, it's it's great to understand and know that there's more than than Pentecost. There's there was a there was a third feast in the seventh month, and it was called Tabernacles. Mm-hmm. And if Pen- if Passover was applicable for us today, that was a type in the yep. Old Testament, as we know, uh, Feast of Weeks, uh, it's Feast of Tabernacles in the New Testament. Uh, we've experienced that. Thank God for it. Many have. You and I have. But Dr. Lynn, there's more. Yeah. There's more than speaking in tongues. Yeah. Yeah. You want to yeah. share a little well, bit? Well, I would say it, it's, there's more in the sense of coming to the awareness and the outworking of what's already in us. Because the scripture says, and have enough his fullness have all we received. So That's we're wall to wall Jesus, but we're not seeing the manifestation. So I'm like, you know, I'm like you. I'm hungry to see even a greater manifestation. I'm not satisfied with what I see of people getting healed and miracles. I think we need to see that sure. even more. But I think that's going to come. 
come. As we come to an awareness, even like see tabernacles was simply the celebration of the seed that was planted at Passover that became the wave of sheath of first fruit in Pentecost is now in its full maturity. So I think it's us coming to the full maturity of the seed that's already in us so that there's an outworking and manifestation of the demonstration of the power of God so that we're not working for salvation but working out of salvation. And I think what people are really saying is saying, you know, it's a matter of how you articulate it, but it's basically saying, you know, they're saying, I want more of God. I'm, I understand what they mean. They're saying, we, we, we want to see a manifestation of his glory because there is God. that. Yeah. And somebody said, well, I don't need to, you know, to be in, in any kind of location to get that, which is true to some degree. But what happens is, is that when we come together and there are multiplicities of giftings like you've got in this room, everybody carries something different. So, mm-hmm. you know, I can remember, for instance, I was going through some physical problems several years ago in my body, and I had just left a meeting where, in my opinion, it was a dumb teaching that you don't ever let anybody that's below you lay their hands on you to pray for. And I'm like, I don't, who's below me? You know, it's yeah. like, you're, you know, who's below me? You know, it's like if you're setting yourself as a hierarchy. And But the very next meeting I went to, uh, I, I wasn't actually speaking. I was in an area, and it was a pretty good-sized church. And the pastor called me and said, hey, what are you doing tonight? I said, no. And he said, man, we got this crazy evangelist. Why don't you come up and just hang out with us? You know, he said, this guy's kind of barefooted, long-haired. And he said, we got this crazy evangelist. And he said, you know, I said, well, beat sitting in a room, hotel room. So I got in my car and went to the meeting that night. And this wild-looking dude, you know, says, hey, I want about 12 kids come up on the platform here, 12-year-olds. And he's like, now I'm going to pray over you, and I want you to find somebody that you connect with in that audience and go lay your hands on him. Mm-hmm. This 12-year-old boy locks eyes with me. Now, remember, a week before this, they're teaching him, don't let anybody below you pray for him. You That's know? right. Because I thought it was stupid then. This little kid come when he laid his hand on my chest. I got a miracle just like that. And I thought, see, what we don't realize is there's many weak and sickly among us because we don't discern the Lord's body. And that's so multiple. We don't discern, first of all, his body and what was broken for us. But also we don't discern the giftings that are in the body. That's why we need each other. That's why we need the local church. That's why we need the corporate anointing and the corporate composite. I, I, there's so much to get into to yeah. talk about that. But I did a thing years ago that was a classic message called the art of uh, corporate anointing, the art of the apothecary from the scripture where it says, and thou shalt make it a holy anointing, a compound after the art of the apothecary. And so anointing doesn't fall. Somebody has to make it. It was created by this guy called an apothecary. And he took five ingredients and brought them together, just like this five-fold ministry. Or, you know, I mean, in other words, when you start to blend, they they become a compound. So I, I have an anointing. But when I come together with you and we start to flow together, our our anointings begin to blend and it becomes a compound. And I say it like this, you take sand, gravel, water, and cement alone there, don't do anything, hardly. You mix them together, they become a compound. And so we come together in the corporate expression. There's a compound of anointing because together we comprise the corporate Christ whose name means the anointed one. And so then that that anointing begins to flow in a corporate compound way. And I think there's something to that with the gathering of the saints and us each flowing in our own. We were talking coming over here in the in the vehicle about how each gifting is going to have through. You know, I was talking about how my son and my brother and my uh, my my own pastor I've had on my TV program. And I'll be sharing some things that's very revelatory. And they'll come and talk about it from their perspective, and it'll filter through their pastoral gifting. 
okay. where mine's really coming from apostolic or prophetic, you know, declaration. Theirs is like this is how it's practical. And I'm thinking, man, how I marvel at how God will let it come through the different kinds of giftings. Yes. So that we never get to the point where we think we got it all together by ourselves. Mm-hmm. We need one another, and I think that's really what what we're going to see. The manifestation is when we start stop when we stop preaching our deficit and what we don't have, and start to declare what we do have, and then people start. I think that's I think this time the repentance that needs to come is not standing around altars begging God forgiveness we've already got, but our re- repentance means to change the way we think. So we start to think in terms of. I've already got something, That's and good. since I've got something, I yes. didn't come here to get something. I came here to dispense something, and we start pouring out one to another, and that's where real transformation, I believe, takes yeah. place. So. Well, it reminds me of this morning, for example, in the service when you'd finished and uh, turned it back over to me to close, and it's like, uh, Brother Lynn, I, did, I didn't know what to say. I mean, it's, it's like, wh- where are their words for what's going on here. Yeah. And and you know, years ago when we had meetings, we would bring in one minister. Yeah. And that minister would minister sometimes for a week, yeah. maybe a week and a half, two yeah. weeks, maybe six weeks. You've been there. Yeah. And and that was good. Uh, you know, that mm-hmm. that's not we're not saying that was bad or wrong or anything of that nature. But but with you guys, we, we had people as you know, pe- people all the way from you're from West Virginia, mm-hmm. going out to east and then we get, had a lady from a very good close friend of yours from corporate uh, Christie yep. to uh, Oklahoma Tulsa, yeah. uh, all over the country coming yeah. together and ministering uh, in our conference this week and, and to see and experience what God is doing in, uh, this morning and last night and how God is moving when we come together. Yep. You know, coming together, this koinonia, this this fellowship that I believe that, that uh, Christ is talking about. When he when He washed the saints' feet, he said, should you not, if I wash your feet, should you not wash one another's mm-hmm. feet? Um, but coming together and, and, and having communion is more than a, a cracker and a, and a glass of juice. Exactly it, right. It, right. It's a, so, so coming to know the body of Christ and experiencing uh, one another's giftings and one another's love, yeah. uh, I, I, there's nothing that we can do that, to, to replace that. Yep. There's nothing in this world that we'll ever do to replace what, uh, what God will do yep. through brothers and sisters who come together. They'll know you love me, uh, yep. that, uh, that you're my disciples, the, how, the way you love one another. So when we love one another, and we've experienced that, uh, you're being here. You know, Dr. Lynn, no doubt you could be probably most anywhere in the world, but you you, you was willing to come uh, to McGee, Mississippi, 4,000 people, little bitty church. Um, and uh, somebody told me one time, said, I don't want, ever want to hear you say you little bitty anymore. <laughs> so, but, so, but, you know, I, I learned something over the years. Uh, while I'd like to have more people in church, I'm going to minister to who I have. That's you taught you us do. this morning, you know, to, to do what God has called us to do with what we have. Yep. And, and God will bless that. Yep. So in closing, uh, Dr. Lynn, let me just tell you again, as we have uh, earlier today and last night, and Cindy, my wife, was telling you earlier, we appreciate you. Thank you. I I can't tell you enough how much we appreciate you and your gift. Uh, Just thank you for coming and being with us. And uh, do you have any closing remarks? Well, I'll just say thank you for hosting me. You know, I never take it for granted either. You know, when I believe God orchestrates some relationships and places we need to be. And I would say one thing when you were talking, I was talking about thinking about we, we, we say have cliches like Christ is the answer. But number one, we don't even know what the question is. Number two, we don't have a clue how he's the answer. But when I think about Christ as the answer, I think about Christ as being the head and us being the body. And so within the body of Christ, 
Christ is the answer. In other words, there's something that all of us carry corporately, yes. whether it's financial gifts of healings, miracles, or whatever. He's the answer. If we could just get the body to function, we being many are one bread. That's and so, good. you know, when yes. we come to the table, like you said, it's not just a cracker and grape juice. Yes. It's our communion, our common union, and that shares. But that's how Christ is the answer. Amen. So. Yes, sir. Well, okay. Well, again, thank you so much for coming. And we yep. appreciate you folks. Uh, thank you for tuning in. And we're going to um, going to continue with our podcast. We have some other ministers that's here that uh, has been with us this week. And uh, we're going to be doing some other podcasts uh, here uh, shortly. And these will be played on a weekly basis. So, again, thank you, uh, folks, for tuning in with us. And uh, we love you. Thank God for you. God bless you.